some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the happy face truck today. That thing's got quite a bit of star power in it, to be sure. Also, to be sure, I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Hope this finds you and yours doing exceedingly well in your lives. My DM's always wide open at Zone for faith-based communications. Quickly, just to put this out there, because I want to make sure that this comes across properly. When I say I'm blessed beyond measure, that certainly doesn't mean that I'm perfect beyond measure. I'm also imperfect beyond all reasonable measure as well. Don't ever get that part wrong. I'm just as flawed as every single person out there, maybe more so. I'm just in a good place in my life, and I hope that you are as well, especially with the holiday season coming up. Okay. High school football is coming up next hour. So this is going to be a little bit of a shorter show than usual, just by a couple of minutes, but stick with me. We've got a lot to get to here tonight. It's the only time I've been with you at least this week. I want to talk about Miles Garrett here. Here's what I got for you on this. I wasn't there. So I could sit here and I could, you know what? I think he, or I don't think he, but all of that is meaningless. Here's what it comes down to. If Mason Rudolph uttered a racial slur, that's gross. And if Miles Garrett created that to excuse his actions, it's just as gross. Because some people are always going to believe that that happened. And it's just about the worst thing you can label someone as in modern society, short of calling them a violent criminal. We heard what the NFL said, and so we move on to things that are relevant rather than things that only seek to either divide us or put us into various camps of he said, she said, or lead us to soapbox and accomplishes nothing. This whole situation was ugly last week. This made it uglier. It wasn't surprising Sadly, that it became a defense, and I say sadly because it's so easy to go there. And the suspensions are upheld. The Browns stink. Let's move on. Titans got to win on Sunday. If the Titans fall to 0-3 in the division, that's brutal. Houston's 3-1, won last night behind Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins doing Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins type of things. But Houston's 3-1 in division, as are the Colts. You've already lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars once. I don't even want to look at the division at this point. I want to look at the wild card standings. Because at 7-4 and four right now for Houston, unless Tennessee defeats the Texans twice in the final three weeks of the season, yeah, I know that's possible. It's not likely, though. We're looking at the wild card here in Nashville for the Tennessee Titans. So let's look at the wild card, where the Titans find themselves in ninth, according to the official standings, entering week 12. Pats, Ravens, Texans, Chiefs atop their divisions. Those are your number one through four seeds. Now we get to what I have been talking about virtually the entire season, at least since this happened. In fifth, the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are seven and three. They've got a pretty easy remaining schedule. They're 3-1 and one in their division. They're 5-2 and two in the AFC. And yes, this is the crucial point. 
they have a head-to-head victory over the Tennessee Titans this season. So you're really down to one spot, I believe. And this is what I said. I said when they lost to the Bills and then came back and lost inexcusably to a terrible Denver Broncos team, even on the road in a tough place to play, I get it. And no, you know, nothing's a cakewalk in the NFL, whatever. You could not lose both of those games, but you definitely shouldn't have lost to Buffalo because you knew that they were probably going to be in contention for a wild card considering where they were when they entered that football game. So losing to them basically took a wild card spot away unless they totally fell apart and the Titans played out of their minds. So you're down to one spot because only six teams get in the playoffs. That's just for the newcomers to the NFL, and that's not me talking down to you. I'm just saying not everybody. I have to make assumptions at times that not everybody listening knows the intricacies of football. Six teams getting into the playoffs here with two buys. So if I've got the Bills in and the four division leaders in, then that leaves one spot. Right now, that's possessed by the Oakland Raiders. So if you're the Tennessee Titans, looking at this logically, I'm not gonna, I'm not breaking down what they're going to do on the offensive line this week or this and that, and we can certainly do that, but I want to look at this analytically from the numbers and just say, can they get this done even though it's feasible and it's possible, how likely is it and how much of a hole have the Tennessee Titans dug themselves into 10 games into the season at 5-5? Five and five? They cannot afford to lose any winnable games. They can't afford to lose another division game if they want any hope of winning it, especially not this week. And then you've got the Raiders on the road coming up. I just told you, Oakland is number six right now in the wildcard standings. One game behind Kansas City. But essentially, that Raiders-Titans game that's coming up in Oakland is going to be a knockout game for one of those two football teams. Raiders are 6-4, and four, Titans are 5-5. Five and five. You've already beaten Kansas City if you're the Titans. So really, and I don't think this is going to happen, but you'd love for the Raiders to somehow win the AFC West because then you'd have a head-to-head over a potential wildcard competition. But again, like I said, I, I don't think that's likely to happen, even though the Chiefs have definitely proven to be a little bit less than stellar. Looking at the remaining of the Titans' schedule, they've got to host Drew Brees and the Saints. Like I just said, they go to Oakland to play the Raiders. They have to deal with Indy on the road. They've already lost to him here. And then they've got to play Houston twice after this week once you get through the Jaguars. That's what's left on the schedule. Saints, Raiders on the road, Indy on the road, Houston once here, once in their place. The Titans coming off a huge victory in Patrick Mahomes' return game, and they've been able to kind of bask in that glory over the bye week, and I'm sure they felt pretty good about themselves, and there's been some hopeful statements. I've heard the phone calls coming in on 104.5 Zone about Tannehill's team and everything else. I was in on the wake-up zone almost every day last week, and there was a lot of positivity surrounding that football team. But let me tell you this. Should they lose to Jacksonville on Sunday? That means the Jags are 2-0 and against them this season. They're both 5-6, and and the Titans fall off the map entirely. I mean, it's a wrap. The Jags are right now in 11th in the wildcard standings. The season ends if Tennessee doesn't handle business on Sunday. Do you need another reason to tune in? Do you need another reason for this to matter to you on Sunday afternoon? If they don't handle business on Sunday, it's really that simple. Because then you're not even going to be able to match Jacksonville's resume. And I don't think anybody thinks the Jaguars are going to the playoffs. 
you've lost five games already. A few you absolutely should not have lost. So how many more of those games can you afford to lose and get the, as I said, one remaining playoff spot that's up for grabs? One. Buffalo has two fewer losses than you, and they've beaten you already. You can afford two losses if everything in the world goes your way, meaning other teams that you need to lose, lose. And you can lose two if one of those losses is against New Orleans. But I think that's about it. So that means one AFC game for the remainder of the season, plus the Saints. And that's that's it. If you lose more than that, I don't think you have a shot. Really, to be safe, you should only lose one more. If you lose to Jacksonville, this team's going 7-9 and nine, or 8-8 eight and eight at best because it's a momentum kind of game. However, let me stop here and tell you the one thing that I learned from the Kansas City game last week. If there is one thing that I learned from that game, it's that the mistake with a team as unpredictably ridiculous as the Tennessee Titans is in looking at an opponent and then for some reason basing the outcome or how you predict it on that opponent's skill level alone. That is abysmal in our situation. It's not just this season, but over the past few years, this Tennessee Titans squad is one that can show up and beat basically anybody, and this Tennessee Titans squad is one that could show up and lose to Vanderbilt. So really, you should just flip a coin and let that be the predictor for you. Thus, from here on out, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I am flipping a coin on Fridays. Heads the Titans win, tails they lose. And that will be my official expert prognostication on the Titans until further notice, week in and week out. That's what we've come to, folks. Because they can beat the Chiefs, and they can absolutely look abysmal against the Denver Broncos. Last year, they can beat the Patriots, they can beat the Eagles, they can beat the Cowboys, but they can get embarrassed and lose to Buffalo. Shut out against the Ravens, and then lose in London. They can lose. They can beat anybody, they can lose to anybody. So I've got a coin right now, and I'm not even going to use the internet coin method. I have an actual coin. I know it's 2019, and I could easily just bring up a website, but I have a coin. As a matter of fact, it is a 2017 quarter honoring George Rogers Clark. And so I'm going to flip this coin. Heads, the Titans win. Tails, they lose. And I think this is just as good a predictor. This is just as smart to do behind the microphone as me trying to tell you why the Titans are going to win or why they're going to lose. I can tell you why, but I can't tell you for sure what's going to happen, especially not with this team. So I'm flipping the coin now. I don't even know if you can hear that. It's heads. The Titans are going to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. That is my official prognostication based on every bit of data that should matter in assessing this football team based on everything we know. The Titans are going to beat the Jaguars and still be in the mix and be 6-5 and five entering this last stretch of games. So congratulations to the, to the Tennessee Titans in advance of Sunday afternoon's game here at Nissan Stadium in Nashville because you're definitely going to win the football game.
it's not based on how I feel like you're going to run it or how you're going to pass it or what the defense is going to do or how you're going to handle Nick Foles or what the offensive line's going to do or whether or not Taylor Lewan has, quote, worked on his penalties during the offseason, unquote. It is based on the single best method to deal with a team like the Tennessee Titans when it comes to trying to figure out what they're going to do. I believe I have uncovered the way to make you money, and that's to use money, literally, flipping a coin to determine whether or not the Titans are going to win. You heard it here first. Heads came up. The Titans will beat the Jaguars on Sunday. 615-737-1045 is our telephone number. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Until further notice, and that is how I will determine whether or not the Titans are going to win that weekend. Because you can't now look at who they're playing, and you can't look at the records, because this team is so just unfathomably ridiculous, is how I put it on Twitter. At Jmart Zone, by the way. A team that I think you can start to understand a little bit better is the University of Tennessee. Tomorrow, Tennessee Tailgate Show will lead you into all network coverage of Tennessee at Missouri. Joey Kent and I will be at the helm of that show. Aaron Hayden will join us, former running back, of course, with the Vols back in the 90s, played for multiple teams in the NFL. Looking forward to that conversation. These are two teams in Missouri and Tennessee, folks, that are both trying to get bowl eligible at the other's expense. There will be an opportunity for both to also do that next week, but I don't think you want to wait. They're both 5-5. Five and five. Missouri's actually got a worse conference record at 2-4. and four. Tennessee's 3-3. Three and three. Missouri has embarrassed Tennessee the past two years, 50-17. to 17. I think it's 50-17 to 17 each year. Tennessee is one of the hottest teams in the country. They've won three in a row. They've won four of their last five. That first half against Kentucky was not good, but it didn't matter because there are two halves to play in 60 minutes, and at the end of those 60 minutes, Tennessee had more points than Kentucky, and thus they won the game. Tennessee making a bowl would matter, and if you look at Stuart Mandel, the athletic who put out his bowl projections earlier this week, it's kind of amazing when you think about where this season started and the fact that he currently has Tennessee playing on New Year's Day in a New Year's Day bowl game for the first time in a minute against Minnesota in the Gator Bowl, I believe it was. Minnesota, who six days ago was undefeated. That's where Tennessee could land. And then, of course, there's that talk of, man, what if they got to play in the Music City Bowl? What a ticket that would be. How much fun would that be if that could happen? But first, you've got to take advantage of one of the next two opportunities. And Tennessee should have no problem trucking Vanderbilt. But I don't think you want to leave that up to chance in a rivalry game. I just don't. If you win tomorrow, you crush Vanderbilt, and you go to the bowl season. What I found interesting, when I look through the stats of Tennessee and Missouri is how in virtually every category, Missouri has better numbers. Let me run this down for you. Points per game is in Missouri's favor, 26 to 23.9. Points allowed per game in Missouri's favor. They give up 19 and a half. Tennessee's given up 23. 
rush yards a game, Missouri's favor. 157.7, Tennessee at 133. Rush yards allowed per game, Missouri's favor, giving up 131.7 to Tennessee's 154.1. Pass yards per game, Missouri's favor, 230 to 210. Pass yards allowed per game, way in Missouri's favor. 166 for the Tigers, 295 for Tennessee. Total offense, Missouri's favor, 388 to 343. Total defense, Missouri's favor, 297. Total yards, 348 for Tennessee. Every category. Yet, when you think about this game, one of these two teams certainly looks to be playing really well, and the other one doesn't. Because Mizzou, despite starting the season effectively, they haven't won in a month, folks. And they haven't looked good doing so. In their last three games, I think they've scored a combined 13 points. And in their last four, they've scored 27. And one of those games was against Vanderbilt, who they lost to. Missouri has, over the past two years, just crushed Tennessee. And you just don't see it here. So I look at all these stats in Missouri's favor. And the fact that one of these teams is trending as one of the hottest teams in the country, and the other one is ice cold. Dealing with a, you know, Kelly Bryant that hasn't been healthy throughout this season, but also I think has proven why Dabo Swinney got it right when he went to Trevor Lawrence. Now, we already know he got it right because we've seen what Trevor Lawrence did, but I think the difference between. Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant is bigger than the difference between Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Jalen Hurts, if you just want me to make that comparison. I think that both decisions were correct, but we're seeing what Jalen Hurts is with a competent offensive coordinator and what he is able to do at Oklahoma. That comeback was spectacular last week. I still don't think he's some great thrower of the football, a great passer, certainly not at Tua's level. But Jalen Hurts could win a whole lot of games that I don't think Kelly Bryant could because I don't. I just think Kelly Bryant's sort of average. But every stat is in Missouri's favor. The trend is in Tennessee's favor. So what happens? This is one where I'm not going to flip a coin. This is one where I look at what these teams have done and who they've done it against. And Missouri has a couple of wins that you like. They beat West Virginia down. It's not one of West Virginia's best teams, certainly. But that's always a decent win. But they've also beaten up on some absolutely terrible teams. And they've given up a decent amount of points to them. They usually do have a good defense. And the numbers that I read to you a couple of minutes ago would indicate they still do. I just feel, I mean, in my gut, one of these teams seems to be much better than the other one at present. And that's Tennessee. And that sort of frightens me just because these are young men. These are young, not kids, but they're still so capable of making a mistake or two or three. And there's still that question about quarterbacks at Tennessee. Now, David Ubbin had some pretty incredible stats that he put out at the Athletic this week, especially as it related to the quarterback position at Tennessee. In the past five games, Jarrett Garantano and Brian Maurer have combined 
to throw 81.3% on target in those games. That's according to Sports Info Solutions and their on-target percentage statistic. Everything's got a statistic. And if you look down some of these other numbers, I mean, it's it's really, you can easily see why there's been a turnaround. Guys are starting to buy in. Daniel Batuli has gotten healthy, and he is without question the leader on that defense. Taylor has been a monster. The secondary has been able to take balls away that they could not take away a season to go. Only nine interceptions all of last year. I think two games ago they were already at 10. Thompson had that three-interception game. Nigel Warrior is really playing well. There was a piece written about him this week. Last week on the Tennessee Tailgate Show, we had we have Fred White on who said he's been talking to Nigel Warrior over the last month, which is about the time we started talking about Nigel Warrior turning it around. Not saying there is necessarily correlation there, but probably wouldn't hurt talking to a guy like Fred White if you're Nigel Warrior. But Nigel's even saying he's playing with more confidence. He's playing with attitude, all those things. And it shows. So do I think that Tennessee's defense is going to go up there and get victimized by Missouri? I just don't. I'm afraid because everything in me feels like Tennessee is going to win this football game, and that always makes you feel a little bit uneasy because we just don't know. But at least this is not a Tennessee Titans situation where I feel like I need to take this quarter that's in front of me that I used in the first segment and flip it to tell you who's going to win tomorrow. You'll obviously hear that game, and you'll hear the Titans-Jags game, the Titans radio on Sunday. You'll hear them both right here on 104.5 The Zones, the only place you're going to hear them here in the Music City. And we'll know how these two games go. But I feel much more confident in saying that Tennessee's going to win, and I think they're going to win by double digits tomorrow. I'm not saying 30. I'm not saying 20. I'm saying they're going to win by two touchdowns. I know Missouri has had their number over the past two years. I heard Brent Doherty uh, during 3HL say they're 2-2 two and two over the last four years, but 0-2 in the last two. And they haven't been good. They've been laughers. This is not a laugher situation. They're buying into what Jeremy Pruitt is selling now. It seems like if there's one take that I got very wrong about the University of Tennessee this season, it was that when he got the penalty for yelling and screaming on the sidelines and being out of control, that that was somehow a bad thing for Tennessee. Because since that point, it seems like they've rallied and they believe that he's willing to fight for them. They are a completely different team right now than they were at the beginning of the year. This team would never have lost to Georgia State. This team never would have lost to BYU. I can't go back and then say my prediction of nine or ten wins for this season would have been right, even though it would have been based on what we know now. We have no idea if those two games had gone in their favor and they were 3-0 and going to Florida, whether everything else would have played the same. because It wouldn't have necessarily gone that way. Maybe they needed to be humbled in order to win some of these games. Maybe they'd have lost these games in place of those games, and they'd still be looking at a 7-5 and potential record. But I can tell you this, if they lose tomorrow, I will not feel particularly good if I am a Tennessee fan going into that Vanderbilt game. And this is a year where you've got to beat Vanderbilt. There's no question about that. If you win tomorrow, I think you beat Vanderbilt handily and you go into the bowl with all kinds of momentum and there is a lot of orange throughout the state of Tennessee being worn proudly leading into that bowl game. I do think they beat Missouri tomorrow by two touchdowns. When we come back, my thoughts on Tua Tongo Vailoa. If you listen to the Quick Six this week, you've already heard pieces of this, but it's real simple. 
you draft him at your own risk, and it's not a risk I would take. We'll be right back. It's the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Lipscomb at CPA. Brent Doherty, Blake Fulton on the call for the NFHS Network. Man, winner going to the Blue Cross Bowl. lot on the line. That's going to be a lot of fun. No question about that. Let's talk about something there is a question about, and that's Tua Tonga-Vailoa and what's going to happen with his future. There's some people that say you should go back to Alabama. I entertained that for a second and then thought, who has really benefited from making that decision? But that's not really what I want to discuss. What I want to discuss over the next couple of minutes is why I don't think you can draft to a Tonga Vailoa. The risk is just too great. All of the things that you want to say about him positively are absolutely true. Seems like he's a great young man. Seems like he's a great leader. He's got an unbelievable deep ball. He's got great touch on his passes. The spin with the ball leaving his hand looks spectacular. He makes very few bad decisions. He's got it all. And he wins at a high level. And he's a reason why his football team wins. If you want reasons for that, take a look at what's about to happen to the Alabama Crimson Tide without him, even with all that receiving talent. And we already know how much receiving talent they have. Three probably first-round draft picks and another guy that's in the second or third round. And, of course, Najee Harris and what they can do on the ground. But if there's one thing that I think that you can take from the Marcus Mariota era in Nashville, it is injury risk eliminates everything else. And I think that part of Marcus's downfall, if you want to call it a downfall, and it's not really that that sort of sounds like he's done something wrong and he really hasn't, except he's gotten hurt. But his confidence has gotten shot. And he didn't seem like a guy who lacked confidence. Didn't seem like that was a problem for him. And it doesn't look like it's a problem for Tua either. So the belief that he's going to make a perfect recovery from this, all that's true. And it's very possible that he never gets injured again. Nothing ever happens again. But would you risk it on that? If you're a GM in this league, if you take him in the top 10 picks or in the top five where he would have gone for sure, how do you feel about that? This is two seasons in a row the Tua Tonga-Vailoa has not been able to, to hold up against SEC defenses. And that's not a slight against the SEC when I say SEC defenses. But compared to the NFL, it is. Even though some of those guys are going to play on Sundays, everybody that he's going to play against on Sundays in the NFL is playing on Sundays. And if you're taking him early in the draft in particular, you probably have a terrible offensive line. When you take a look at the teams that are going to pick in the top 10 coming up in the draft. How many of them are you going to look at and assume have a solid, trustworthy offensive line? Probably almost none of them. Maybe one, if the right one right one falls. But if you don't have an outstanding, not even a decent, but an outstanding offensive line, it's almost malpractice to consider selecting Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I mean, Cam Newton can't hold up any NFL. Deshaun Watson... Week after week, you're just afraid he's not going to get up from one of the hits he's taking. Kyler Murray is taking big shots. Lamar Jackson is so elusive that he's able to get away from some of it, but not all of it. There are guys all over the place that's, that just can't hold up against this. As good as Tua is, 
as great as his skill set is. His skill set is worse than me in the NFL as a quarterback if he can't actually step onto the field and play. As good as he is, he is negative 100 if he's carrying a clipboard on the sidelines on Sundays. And while he may never get injured again, and this has all just been two bad years for him, how can you take that risk with that position? Now, if you're a team that is completely bottomed out and terrible, maybe that's a risk that you still consider taking. But those that are just like, oh, maybe he would fall to Tennessee. Have you not learned from the Marcus Mariota experiment how tenuous that can be and how unfortunate that is and how week to week you cringe every time he even takes a knee in the backfield because you're afraid that's going to be the last knee for three or four weeks and he's headed to the bench. And I mean back when you actually wanted him to play. That's why you can't draft Tua because the risk is too great. There is no reward if he can't play football for you. I hate that. I want to see him succeed. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope somebody doesn't listen to me, drafts him, and he turns into the MVP in the NFL in three years or two years. I want to see that for him. I don't want this to be accurate. But I got to base this on the eye test. I got to base this on what I'm seeing. And I'm seeing a guy that's brittle, that's fragile, whose body is betraying him. Two years in a row in the SEC. Why would I think that's going to change he has a great offensive line year in and year out at Alabama. If he doesn't have a great offensive line in the NFL, he's got no chance. If he's got a good offensive line in the NFL, he's still just one hit away from being out. And yes, that's true for absolutely every quarterback in the NFL. But this guy now has a track record that scares me away from him. And I do truly hate that. We'll be right back. This is a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Dallas double-A play. Interesting. You know, I was going to talk about the Mandalorian here. And if you check out the Big Six blog, 1045zone.com slash Big Six blog, where I'm the editor-in-chief, I've written about the first episode. I'm going to write about two and three this weekend. I don't have time to get into all of my thoughts on it right now. Brad Willis and I are going to sit down and do a Mandalorian edition of the Pop 6 early next week. That'll be your holiday edition of the Pop 6 podcast, so look for that. But the one thing I do want to say real quickly is that one of the things that I love most about The Mandalorian is how I feel when it's over. It is okay, man. It is actually really cool to finish a show that isn't too bloated and too long. Each episode doesn't have to be an hour. The first one's 38. The second one's 32. The third one's 39. To finish an hour and actually feel good because it, it made you laugh, had some good action scenes in it, a little bit of a throwback nostalgia on top of something new and it just doesn't beat you down psychologically like you can just you can walk away from it and just go back to enjoying your life you don't have to decompress after watching the mandalorian same way i feel when you the reason i love pixar so much is for that exact same reason it's all right to feel good man it's all right to to have fun Sometimes I get caught in the maelstrom and I want to, and you know, all the, the negative stuff that's going on in sports and everything else. Mandalorian's just pure fun, pure enjoyment. And it's good for the whole family too. Language isn't going to hurt you. Content's not going to hurt you. There's just, it seems like it's few and far between right now. And it's such quality on top of that. John Favreau's doing great stuff. Fred Cox passed away. And I saw this during the break. 
kicker for the Vikings, legendary kicker for the Vikings. But I don't want to talk about what he did in the NFL. I want to talk about something else that he did in this final two minutes or so because it might hit every single person on their way home if you did not know this. Fred Cox invented something called the non-expanding recreational foam. If you don't know what that is, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it slower. And then if you still don't know what it is, I'll explain. Fred Cox, who passed away, I believe today, according to the NFL, invented the non-expanding recreational foam. Fred Cox, who was a kicker in the NFL for the Vikings, invented what we have come to know as Nerf. If you've ever played with a Nerf football or a Nerf basketball or, you know, Nerf batting ball or whatever it is, you've played with something that Fred Cox invented. A former NFL player who invented as good a toy, as versatile a toy that has brought so much joy to so many people. I remember my first Nerf football. I remember my first Nerf turbo football. I always had multiple Nerf items when I was growing up. Nerf has become, I don't even know what the industry is now. I don't know how big the industry is now. I don't know anybody within the sound of my voice that's listening to 1045thezone.com that did not, especially if you didn't know the story already, that did not all of a sudden immediately begin thinking of their memories of Nerf, of playing with Nerf products growing up. It was as much a part of childhood as anything else was. Throwing it with my dad, throwing it with my friends, touch football, tag football, even tackle football we shouldn't have been playing, all that stuff. Maybe next week or maybe sometime we can do a Nerf Memories show. But this one's for Fred Cox, who invented the non-expanding recreational foam and passed away. And yeah, he kicked in the NFL, but my man created Nerf. That's pretty rad. CPA and Lipscomb is coming up next. I'm in for Clay Travis on Thursday and Friday, so I will talk to you guys then. And, of course, the Tennessee Tailgate Show tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night from Nashville. 104.5.